To get your free audio gift, The Three Pillars of Achieving Your Perfect Weight Using the Mind-Body Connection, go to healthymindfitbody.com and enter your first name and email address, and we'll send that to you right away. Welcome to the Healthy Mind Fit Body Podcast. This is episode number 26, and this is Kevin, and Wes is on the other line. Hey, Wes, how's it going? Good, Kev. Going really well over here. I actually did some high-intensity sprints a little while ago, and I'm feeling it in my quads. Nice. Yeah, I did some yesterday on the beach, and I was feeling it in my quads too, but it actually felt great afterwards, especially with the sun out and it being like 78 degrees outside. Can't beat that. Yeah, I just did that on the beach last Friday, I think it was, and it took me a couple of days to get over the soreness, like in the hip flexor region especially. Yeah. Oh, happy St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Yes. Luck of the Irish, huh? Yeah, I'm, uh, to celebrate, I'm having actually a green drink I just made myself. A green drink, not a green beer, right? Uh, no, that's later. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a very uh, big drinking day. It is probably the biggest drinking day next to maybe New Year's Eve. Yeah, probably is. Another day to uh, celebrate something that Americans really don't have much connection to. Unless you're Irish, of course. What are you talking about? Some guy drove like millions of snakes out of Ireland like 800 years ago. <laughs> that's something to celebrate. Is that what it was? Okay. I'm pretty sure. And I'm sure it was true, too. I got to study up on my history, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Learn these things. But uh, yeah, the sprints thing is a good thing to get into if you're you know, wanting to up your fitness level, basically. And to do those things like we talked about in our interview with Mark Sisson, to activate those certain gene pathways to enable your body to repair proteins and so forth and start basically becoming more sensitive to insulin and creating a whole metabolic change in your body where you're basically living in a paleolithic sort of way as opposed to a modern human sort of way, which is all sorts of crazy yeah. because of the carbs and the lifestyle and a lot of this, you know, long distance cardio stuff, The uh, what Mark calls the chronic cardio. Chronic cardio, yeah. Yeah, we're all familiar with that. And I think that was a good insight that we came to on the show was that it's as if chronic cardio is the prescription for the illness that's caused by the food pyramid and the high-carb, low-fat prescription of dieting. Right. So you're putting on weight that you shouldn't really be putting on based on the foods that you're eating, uh, the high carbs and so forth. And now you've got to do chronic cardio to take care of all that. Exactly. And so it's just adding insult to injury. And the better way to do that is basically just to eat the right sort of foods and avoid the wrong foods. And therefore, you can you know, do those sort of high-intensity burst activities of exercise and you'll be fit. Yeah, exactly. And he pointed out that it's 80% of your fitness level is going to be your nutrition. Mm -hmm. And I was just listening to uh, an interview that Jimmy Moore did on his show a while back with a, a woman that calls herself a nutritional psychologist. And, you know, listening to that, it's still, she kind of ties in the carbohydrate addiction and blames it on brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. But if you listen to what she's saying, it still comes back to just eating more protein and more fats and staying away from carbs and, you know, kind of paying attention to that, to how many carbs are in what you're eating. And, uh, you know, it seems like you don't have to really take these supplements that she's talking about. It's more just, you know, understanding the nutrition, understanding what makes you, you know, crave those carbohydrates. 
That's true. And I think that she even talks about physical addiction, being physically addicted to the carbs. And yeah. I'm not so much an advocate of that perspective. I think that all this basically goes back to what's in your head and your value right. system and the emotions that you have and how you're dealing with those in relation to what you're doing when you reach out to grab a food substance and put it in your mouth. Um, you know, are you satisfying a craving? We do actually have cravings. That's undeniable. But can we shift our perspective in what is good for us in terms of eating food to the point where we don't crave the bad foods anymore? Yeah. And we actually crave the good foods. And I think that's totally possible. And that's the perspective that we take on this. Exactly. But in light of the uh, psychological aspects of all this, we talked about on a previous show about going through the six pillars of self-esteem by Nathaniel Brandon. Mm -hmm. It's really a great book. I mean, he breaks down all the pillars and I think we were talking that we were going to do a couple pillars each show. Yeah. But this one will start off with just kind of preliminary leading into it, an intro of sorts. Oh, you know, before we get into the Nathaniel Brandon stuff, I just wanted to mention one more thing about the Mark Sisson interview. Uh-huh. Uh, we kind of talked about after the show, and one of the questions that he answered of ours, he talked about how he can go all day without eating and that's fine and there should be no problem with doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think that was where, that was the only part that I had a little bit of a bone to pick and we didn't really talk about it with him but I wanted to mention it to our listeners. I eat about six to seven times a day and he said that in the old days, in the caveman days, that they couldn't have eaten all that often. I mean, they were probably going for hours without food or for, you know, all day or something like that. But mm -hmm. I contend that they could have eaten often. I mean, they were eating small, you know, nuts and berries and things like that. And they could have eaten possibly all day long with that type of thing. I guess it depends on where they were living. Yeah. I suppose at different periods, at different times, food could be really scarce or it could be really abundant. Right. I'm thinking of like some of the tribes that live by fish, you know, where, where rivers and streams and lakes where they had access to fish all the time. Yeah. I could see them actually eating that quite a bit. And they did a lot of, um, you know, salting the fish and smoking them, curing them so that it would last for, you know, a week or two and you could just eat it whenever you wanted to. Yeah. Because this is before the age of refrigerators. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think Mark is looking at, okay, so our genes are finely tuned over thousands of years of that sort of primal lifestyle. And I guess it's open to debate, anthropological debate, as to what the lifestyle actually was. I noticed some of the commenters on some of his blog posts take issue with uh, that it's a cut and dry notion. Yeah. For instance, you know, his blog about the nuts that maybe cave people didn't have or the Paleolithic humans didn't have access to as many nuts as we do today. Mm. So it might be unwise to eat lots of nuts or nut butters. And of course, there's also the factor that some nuts have higher omega-6 fatty acid content. But yeah. it's, it's wrapped in a pretty good package, really, I right. mean, in terms of the micronutrients. So I don't think you can really go wrong with nuts. And I think after all said and done, no matter what Paleolithic humans ate or did not eat, you have to look at what your blood readings are. You know, what's your triglycerides, the different types of cholesterol. And then you could go as far as getting the CT scan. Yeah. Where you can actually see in your vessels. True. And of course, for people who are type 2 diabetics or borderline diabetics, mm -hmm. it's good to get that A1C reading to make sure that your glucose levels aren't, you know, into an area that's dangerous on all of your systems. Yeah. And the fitness, I mean, there were hunters back in the caveman days also that 
were running for hours to chase down their prey. So it's not necessarily that doing cardio is horrible for you or anything, because that was some part of our ancestry as well. But it just, I mean, how much time do you want to spend? I mean, can you make it efficient or do you want to spend your life, you know, on treadmills and four-hour runs? Yeah, you reach a point of diminishing returns. And if you can get the same level of healthiness on a shorter, more, an easier way, then why not choose that way? It seems to make the most sense. Exactly. But, um, you know, I've done a fair amount of hunting in the mountains of Idaho, and I could not conceive of running down my prey. <laughs> Seriously, I don't know who the anthropologists are who come to that conclusion. I guess it depends on what sort of prey it is, but uh, large mammals, for instance, if you go bow hunting and you shoot an animal with the arrow and it goes through a vital organ, say the lungs, the routine is to wait like a half an hour to let the animal mm -hmm. die. Because if you go chasing after it, after you just stuck it, they'll release a lot of adrenaline and sometimes the wound will sort of heal up and they can run for hours and hours and you might even lose the trail. So <laughs> that would suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you lose your meat. So it's best to uh to be a little bit more stealthy in that regard. But yeah. Anyway, all these kinds of things are interesting, but how do they play into healthy mind fit body for us today? That's the important thing. Exactly. And so getting back onto the six pillars thing and just as an intro, I think it's good just to identify what Brandon defines as self-esteem. He relates it to two components, self-efficacy and self-respect. And he wrote here in the chapter, The Meaning of Self-Esteem, self-efficacy means confidence in the functioning of your mind, in your ability to think, understand, learn, choose, and make decisions. Confidence in your ability to understand the facts of reality that fall within the sphere of your interests and needs. Self-trust, self-reliance. Mm -hmm. And self-respect means assurance of your value, an affirmative attitude toward your right to live and to be happy. Comfort in appropriately asserting your thoughts, wants, and needs. The feeling that joy and fulfillment are your natural birthright. Yeah. And that pretty much covers the nature of self-esteem in a nutshell. Sounds pretty important to me. And then he, he mentions worthiness also, which is related. Sure. Self-respect is related to that worthiness, that you're worthy, the feeling that you're worthy of happiness. And that really gets into the subconscious aspects of how you assess yourself in relation to, say, food, or to your relationships, or just anything in your life. Uh, what is possible to you, and what is your level of happiness now, and how can you amplify that if it is a little lower? Right. So can you be fat, dumb, and happy? Fat, dumb, and happy. Well, that's interesting, because it depends on what your definition of happiness is, I guess. Yeah. If happiness comes from being fat and dumb... Uh, <laughs> what if you're what... happy, but you just happen to be fat and dumb... <laughs> just by happenstance. Right. Yeah, not so good, is it? No, I don't think so. It's better to stay aware, you know, and right. this is what it's all about, really. The first pillar that he gets into, and we'll get into this in the next show, is the practice of living consciously. Because he writes here in that same chapter, The Meaning of Self-Esteem, we are not programmed to think automatically. We are not responsible for controlling the activities of our lungs, heart, liver, or kidneys. They are all part of the body's self-regulating system. Although we are beginning to learn that some measure of control of these activities may be possible, nor are we obliged to supervise the homeostatic processes by which, for instance, a constant temperature is maintained. Nature has designed the organs and systems of our bodies to function automatically in the service of our life without our volitional intervention. But our minds operate differently, don't they? Yeah, so in relation to eating, 
you think people kind of do the same thing? Like they kind of eat on autopilot because that's what everything else in you know most people's lives is just kind of automatic. Everything just happens. You breathe and you just eat whatever's there. Mm-hmm. And as we've noted in previous shows, the so-called experts have adjusted that autopilot mechanism to be set on the wrong course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you start out with bad nutritional information and then you just put it on autopilot, man, that's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And <laughs> I think it's just so prevalent that I was just thinking of uh, some people that I swim with. Um, I've heard this comment like, oh, I just swim so that I can eat and drink beer. And that's so common. <laughs> and it's Live for the weekends, right? Yeah, live for the weekends. Yeah, you know, just pile it on. But the smarter thing is to have a more of a balance. And you won't have to do all that extra work. You won't have to constantly be on this kind of treadmill, like proverbial treadmill where you're just eating and then burning it off and then eating more and burning it off. It's just, that gets pretty annoying after a while. Binge and purge and binge and purge. Yeah. <laughs> Not a good thing. Making healthy choices is really important. Uh, as Brandon notes here, we are the one species that can formulate a vision of what values are worth pursuing and then pursue the opposite. <laughs> we can decide that a given course of action is rational, moral, and wise, and then suspend consciousness and proceed to do something else. We are able to monitor our behavior and ask if it is consistent with our knowledge, convictions, and ideals, and we are also able to evade asking that question. The option of thinking or not thinking. And what we want to do is focus on the thinking part, right? To focus, to think, to be aware, to strive for clarity, to be honest with yourself. Yeah, and I think this is so important because of what we just talked about with the groupthink. Because there's so much groupthink going on when you go out and you're with a crowd and everybody's doing something like overeating or overdrinking or whatever it is. It's pretty easy if your self-esteem is not at a high level to just kind of fall into that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll just have an extra three or four beers tonight and it's no big deal. Yeah, everybody else is doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, It can't be that bad. (laughs) Yeah. Or, you know, it's like a race to the bottom. If most people are not doing the healthy thing, it's easy to gravitate that way. Yeah, it is. It's it's very easy. Gravitate to that sort of lifestyle, and it's not doing anyone any good, of course. Right. So it's a matter of stopping the madness. Yep. And as Brandon notes, it's a choice between self-confrontation versus self-avoidance. Receptivity to new knowledge versus closed-mindedness. Willingness to see and correct errors versus perseverance in error. Concern with congruence or consistency versus disregard of contradictions. Mm-hmm. Reason versus irrationalism. And then loyalty to the responsibility of consciousness versus betrayal of that responsibility. So these are all the choices that we make on a daily basis, obviously. And in the back of our book, I have a seven-day program to work through some of these subconscious issues, like the various conflicts going on on a subconscious level of your feelings and your subconscious thoughts that are driving certain behaviors and creating cravings in things that are not so good for you. And then the follow-through, right, to eating the bad things, the box of those um, wonderful donuts. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and washing it down with a Guinness beer, right? There you go. Krispy Kreme and a <laughs> keg of Guinness. Although Guinness actually has a really low carbohydrate content. Guinness is a light beer. Yeah, I've been Twittering about that today and getting the word out. It's very light. It's dark in color and everybody thinks it's got like 500 calories. Are you sure it weren't a leprechaun, matey? <laughs> <laughs> Top of the morning to you. Yes. So let's just wrap up with some emails, huh? 
Yeah, yeah, let's get to those emails. We had a couple emails come in, and that was exciting since uh, people are listening and responding, which is great. So we encourage everyone to join in here and ask us questions and tell us what you're doing. So the first one is from Rich, and he says, Hi, I'm an avid listener of your podcast and would like your insight about something I've heard. Does crystal light or any artificially sweetened drink trick your body into producing insulin based off of a sweet taste? Mm-hmm. I would assume that Rich is a fan of crystal light. It sounds like it. It is pretty tasty. I- I've tried some of the various flavors, and it is really tasty. I haven't drunk it for months, maybe years, but I basically wrote back saying that I've yet to see any research that says that this sugar substitute causes any significant increases in insulin secretion. And as a type 1 diabetic myself, I know that it doesn't raise my blood sugar at all. I'd have to take a shot of insulin if it did. So that's my take on it. I know you had some other things to say. Yeah, I just added one more thing. I didn't. I haven't seen any studies either with that. But um, there's one thing that I have read about that when you consume the NutraSweet or the Splenda, I'm not sure about Stevia. I think Stevia might be okay. But those two, uh, I've read that your body thinks that it's actually getting sugar. And then after a while, when it doesn't, you start to have more carbohydrate cravings. And then that basically offsets everything that you saved by drinking the diet drink like the Crystal Light or the Diet Coke. Yeah. It really gets into the mind-body issue once again, doesn't it? Like, it does, yeah. The cravings. I tend to side with more of the psychological aspects of cravings yep. rather than physical because obviously those are in our control Yeah. and we can actually start craving things that are good for us. So the more we focus on uh, the things that are under our volitional control, like Brandon mentions about the self-esteem components the more we can at least attune ourselves to what's going on with our body and gravitate to those things that are actually good for us. Yeah. So, yeah, the diet drinks, not, you know, it's not going to kill you, but... It's way better than a big tall glass of OJ or Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> but high C, though. What about high C? Did they have sugarless? I don't know, but I used to drink it as a kid. and Yeah. What were those ones that came in the little squishy... Uh, Capri Sun. Capri Suns, yeah. yeah. You stick the little straw in there, right? Yeah, it contains no fruit juice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How they pull yeah. that off, we'll never know. Yeah, I don't know what's in it. In college, though, a lot of people were mixing it with vodka. Mm, I wouldn't nice. know anything about that, but of I just heard not. heard things. Yeah, Rumors, rumors. What all those other people did. Yeah. <laughs> Kathleen wrote to us and said that, just wanted to let you know I listened to your podcast and read your book. I just turned 50 and started a new job February 1st. I've been using your methods to set some new habits at my new job. Cabinet full of nuts and herbal tea instead of chocolate. Snacks of cheese. So far, so good. I've lost a little weight and realized I can reach my goals slowly over time by just keeping to these new habits. I like the content of your podcast quite a bit. They are the right length and have the right depth of subject matter. Keep at it. Well, thanks, Kathleen. Cool. Yeah, and I don't know about length. I mean, we were shooting for 10 minutes again, but look, here we are at oh, pushing yeah. 20 minutes. <laughs> there we go. 10-minute podcast. It's going to happen one day. Yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with the chocolate as long as it's dark chocolate, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just a little bit of dark chocolate. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to eat two bars a day. Yeah. So if you uh, have anything that you want to talk about or questions or... Uh, you just want to talk about donuts or something, just send us an email. You can shoot it to info at healthymindfitbody.com and we might read it on the next podcast. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and we have a contact page on the website too. So exactly. you can just fill that in. And of course, comment on our blog and show notes after our podcast. And you can visit us on uh, iTunes, of course, and uh, rate or review the show. That would be much appreciated. Yep. And of course, just as we mentioned in the beginning of the show, there is the free audio download of the three pillars. Three pillars of using the mind-body connection to achieve your perfect weight. Yes, your perfect weight. Just go to the website. And another thing we should mention is we put up a video on our site and some new pictures. Yeah, that should be up by the time this podcast is posted. Absolutely. So feel free to check that out. Yeah. Well, I am off to have a Guinness, like I said. Excellent. Celebrate all those four-leaf clovers out there. Exactly. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care.